I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Dan Applequest. He's a web and mobile industry veteran and open web advocate. He was a dot-com CTO and later a dot-com refugee working in the early days of the web. Later, he came to work for European mobile operators, helping to develop the standards and technologies behind the mobile web. Now, he's the director of web advocacy for Samsung Internet and also co-chairs the W3C Technical Architecture Group and is a member of the UK government's Open Standards Board and the MDN Product Advisory Board. In this episode, Dan and I talk a lot about what he views as his key responsibility as a developer advocate, why you really need to consider building a PWA, and the importance of ethical web principles. And make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about mobile differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Dan. So now in your role at Samsung, We've talked to Ada, and I just love to and got her perspective on what she's trying to accomplish as a developer advocate. You know, I'd love to hear what you're trying to accomplish. At the end of the day, you know, you think your role at Samsung is meant to help developers X utilize the web to its full potential, uh, especially across mobile devices, with a with a real strong focus on mobile, and at the same time push new features into the web um, so that we continue to evolve the web. And make the web a vibrant platform. I think there's very something very special about the web. It is a it's a platform that is part of the commons. It's not a it's not owned or dominated by any one company um, or organization. It's very international. Web standards are built in public and are uh, subject to peer public review and peer review. A lot of the code is open source. A lot of the process by which new web standards are built and new technologies are built is is open. Um, so there's a value there and there's something also valuable to uh, to service developers because actually building a web application that is a responsive web application or a progressive web app can be a much better way to build an application that services the most users uh, that you um, uh, that you can. If you want to engage a lot of users, then the best thing to do is to build a progressive web app or a responsive web application. You know, even governments like the UK government uh, um, guidance on this actually says uh, users expect government services to work on whatever device or browser they choose to use. And a responsive website is usually the best way to do this. Right. And that's the kind of message that I think that we are we are in a very privileged position to be able to push out there. Um, it's not, we're not trying to sell anybody on using Samsung browser in particular, but we are uh, trying to get people to, uh, to embrace tr- developers, to embrace web development and to, and to understand, you know, how to take advantage of the great new features that are coming to the web. So thinking about that as a second, do you think part of the challenge is that developers for such a long time, you know, part of the reason we went to native mobile apps is was the functionality and the features of what you could do with a native app. And the web has caught up tremendously, you know, since the iPhone was first invented. But I feel like, and I love your perspective on this, that there's so many developers that just don't realize how much the web can do now. And that's part of the challenge that we face. I think so. So I do an awful lot of conference speaking and uh, so does Ada and other members of my team as well. And I think that there are a lot of great web conferences uh, and even mobile web conferences out there. But what I've found is that we end up 
sometimes we end up speaking to the web faithful. There's a certain group of developers out there that are already bought into the idea that the web is great and the web is the platform that they want to develop for. Um, and actually, uh, the, there's a huge bunch of mobile developers out there that are really looking at mobile apps. They're looking at other ways to, they're looking at React Native and other kinds of approaches to build mobile apps. And they're kind of, web really isn't on their radar. And there are some reasons for that. And I think they were probably good reasons uh, to begin with. As you said, the web wasn't as capable as it is now. Uh, these days, you can do a lot more with the web. And I think the restrictions of the app ecosystem are showing. Uh, so the, 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 the fact is that the app ecosystem is a, a kind of walled garden. It is a, uh, it's not as scalable. And there are some really good examples of apps that were delisted from app stores or apps that are not given good, uh, you know, f favorable listings, you know, because they conflict with internal applications. There's all kinds of really good reasons to engage users with web apps instead, but we've gotten to a point where many uh, mobile developers and, and more importantly, product managers and kind of managers uh, tend to think in terms of, we need an app. We came across this a lot when I was working at UK government, uh, going back to that, um, where we had to really roll out this guidance and hit people over the head with it and say like, look, you're just because your manager says, we need an app, because I heard that we need an app, that actually might not be the best approach. If you look at the data, if you look at how, how easy it is to build a, a responsive website these days, and how many users you can engage with that versus building a separate iOS application, Android application, any other kind of phone that you want application, then it's clear that building a responsive website is the best is the best approach for many types of services. It doesn't mean that native apps aren't the right way to go for certain things like you know highly responsive 3D uh, games, applications that need to access the bare hardware uh, APIs uh, in a more sophisticated way, applications that need to access the network more in a more sophisticated way that, that the browser will always be an intermediary between the web application and the uh, the underlying hardware. So if you, so if you're writing a, a, a racing game or a 3D game that really requires you know fast 3D graphics, it might not be the best thing. On the other hand, we are also catching up with the work that Ada is doing on immersive web, uh, where we're really getting there with at least in for some types of experiences being able to offer immersive in, uh, 3D. Uh, VR and AR experiences, even with web technology. So the web is catching up in even even in those spaces. So you're mentioning about this idea of like going the conferences conferences you go to, you typically talk to like the web faithful. How do you think about educating all of the other developers that aren't going to those conferences or you know aren't part of W3C? How do you get them to know, hey, the web has more to it. There's so much more you can do on the web and you're really missing out on a huge opportunity. Well, uh, so I spoke at a, I did a lunchtime talk at a company called Pivotal a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was exactly this kind of crowd, really. I mean, maybe half the crowd there, um, and it was that Pivotal is a company that builds applications for, for people and, uh, or for, for clients. And half the people there, uh, you know, had kind of heard about progressive web apps. The talk was specifically about progressive web apps. Um, but there was still a lot of a, a kind of a 
quizzical faces and uh, and it was absolutely the right crowd to be talking to because it was uh, people that really haven't heard the message yet. Um, so that's the kind of that is an ideal that's an ideal space to be in when you're doing advocacy work, right? Because uh, it's clear that there's a lot of people that need to be advocated in this or that haven't heard this message yet. Um, and that's where we try to put more of our energy. So I'm going out to Romania next week to speak at Dev Talks Romania. It's not a web conference. They do have a web track, but it is a general uh, development conference. Um, uh, spoke at another conference in Austria last week or last year um, called We Are Developers. And, uh, you know, again, it's an audience that is generalized. It's not um, so, so, you know, Yes, we are also speaking at web conferences, and we also are, in particular, we're speaking at a very, very cool conference coming up at the end of September called ViewSource, which we've been collaborating on uh, because we're a partner in MDN, which is a very exciting initiative that now MDN has is kind of like this, or what used to be called Mozilla Developer Network is now this kind of cross-browser uh, initiative called MDN. And... We're collaborating with other browsers to put that together. That's going to be very exciting. And that's definitely a web faithful conference. It's going to be great, though. But I think it's we, we, we also try and balance it out. You just mentioned progressive web apps a couple of times now. So I would love to, which personally is one of my favorite topics, because I think they really are the future of mobile and the web. And someone that's done native apps for more than a decade, they solve a lot of the problems and challenges I think that you face with a lot of native mobile so how did you first get involved with progressive web apps? Kind of what is your story there? How did you know this is something that you think can really take off? Um, well, I started to become excited about the idea of web applications that could take over and kind of become more intrinsic applications on the device. Actually, even before the, uh, even in pre-iPhone days, we were talking about this initially uh, we were talking about the idea of mobile widgets that were based on very um, early kinds of uh, HTML, uh, very cut down HTML. Um, then I was going to say, I think that's a really interesting point because a lot of people think the idea of progressive web apps has only been around for the last three years. But to your point, it actually, the concept of a web app started even before the iPhone. Oh, and I think yeah, if I'm right, I Steve mean, Jobs we, said I, the iPhone initially was going to run web apps. Yes. Yes, and even and that's why they were one of they were the first uh, phone to actually launch this per, uh, save to home screen approach. So some of the first web apps um, that I remember that well, some early web apps like for instance, Financial Times launched a web app, which this was pre progressive web apps time, um, but it was post iPhone already, and they uh, you know had a some messaging in their application about here's the save to home screen button, use this button. They uh, included some um, metadata that uh, instructed the iPhone in that case to save it to home screen in uh, as, a, as an icon. When the user tapped that icon, it would come up in full screen mode. Now they had to build a lot of their own custom software in order to do that. And what progressive web apps do is to uh, really make that a lot easier and much more at the level where individual developers and small developers can take advantage of that same approach and where it can work across browser, right? So 
So, I mean, coming back to progressive, it's just one more one more stage in the history of progressive web apps that I should mention is that I was also involved in the Firefox OS project. Um, when I was working at Telefonica, I was one of the, we were one of the operator partners of uh, Firefox, of Mozilla, uh, who were helping to create Firefox OS. And Firefox OS was based around the idea that all the applications on the phone would be a web app, including the dialer, including the context manager, all that kind of stuff. Now, even though that project didn't go as well as maybe Mozilla had helped, hoped and certainly as well as we had hoped, we a lot of the concepts that came out of that are directly applicable to what we now call progressive web apps. So the save to home screen approach, the idea of background JavaScript threads, all that kind of stuff was, uh, was born in some of the ideas that came out of, of Firefox OS. So then when we as a web standards community uh, came together uh, in a workshop that I actually co-chaired uh, <laughs> uh, and talked about how we, the current state of affairs for offline, um, which was HTML5 app cache uh, was broken and nobody was using it and we needed a new solution. One of the ideas that came out of that workshop turned into what eventually became service worker. The service worker API being kind of the, the linchpin of what we now think of as progressive web apps. And so if I was going to kind of define, or the way that I currently define progressive web apps today is it's everything you're already doing if you're building a responsive web application, plus adding uh, offline functionality and save to home screen uh, option for users to, ena to enable that application to function more like a native application. Um, and, and really that's the, basic at, at its at its kind of basic level that's it um, and then you can add other functions and other apis on top of that which make it more sophisticated and make it even more able to take advantage of the um, device but if, at the basic level that's it and that and that simplicity enables it to be cross-platform and cross cross-browser given that why wouldn't i want to build a progressive web app what, what's the challenge or the reason why i wouldn't want to consider it well, you will not have a sophisticated access to things like the camera, for instance. So if you want to build an inst so I've got on my iPhone here, and I do have an iPhone as well as a Samsung phone, I've got the Instagram loaded as a progressive web app, and it works great. I use it most of the time. Um, but when I want to actually upload a, a photo, the UI that presents itself in order to um, take the photo or browse my photo library, that comes, that's browser UI. That's not UI that is controllable by the application itself. Um, so in the case of Instagram, you know, if you go back to the Instagram native app and you press the same button, um, you'll get a much more sophisticated live camera view and, um, uh, you know, you can manipulate the hardware in a more sophisticated way. Now, those functions may, may be coming to the web near you soon, but right now uh, we're, we're not there yet. I think it, it has to do with the, the kind of application you're building and the kind of functions and features you want. I, I think 90% of the types of applications that people are building these days would benefit from looking at progressive web apps first and then seeing what can't I do as a progressive web app and if I if those features are really things that I need, then going for the native app approach, and that and that kind of mirrors the UK government guidance that I talked about before. 
I think your point around features I really need is is really critical because one of the things that I hear when I talk to people about progressive web apps, their first reaction is, well, can I get it from this, the app store? Well, you can't with you know, Google and Microsoft, but not with Apple yet. And they're like, well, that's where people go to look for apps is the app store. I'm like, that's actually not where they go. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I do think there's a, there's a bit of like a common wisdom out there, which is not necessarily true, but also even if it is true, we've, we as an industry have, have trained users that way and we can train them a different way. I mean, one of the things I talked about at the uh, Pivotal talk that I gave a couple weeks ago was um, if you're building an application for a, uh, building an application isn't just building an application, you've also got to figure out how people are going to discover that application. Um, when I'm traveling on the tube here in London, uh, I often see I often see ads for new applications, like new food delivery applications. And when I see a one of those ads and it says, look us up on the app store, I always facepalm because I know what the experience is like. First of all, you as a as an app developer, as as a company, as a startup, you're sending your potential uh, customer into the hands of a department store. And the first thing your competitor is going to do is OEM uh, the crap out of their application so that when you, uh, when your user searches for just eat doc, doc, uh, or just eat, they're going to find just eats competitors sitting right there. So, so first of all, you've just opened your, yourself up to um, competition and you don't control that experience. There's, if you send that user to the app store, you do not control that experience. It's compl- there's a lot of friction there. Uh, you've just made it really much more difficult for the user to actually get your application. If, on the other hand, you're sending the user to a URL, and URLs are extremely URLs are a piece of UI these days, right? Because you can you can have these uh, these great um, uh, very uh, creative uh, URLs like um, Galaxy.store and stuff like that. Um, that are that are very expressive and memorable. If you send users to a URL, then you control the experience. And if even if your intention is is to send them a native application, you still are in control of that experience, and you can send them to the exact page of the exact application that you want uh, them to install. Or even better, you can build a progressive web app and immediately start engaging with them right there in the context of the of the web. Um, so, th- so I think there's, that's a learning that we need to do. It's a learning for developers, and it's also a, a kind of a we need to retrain uh, users and, and ideally stop putting these kinds of um, call, uh, calls to action for uh, go find us on the App Store, uh, replace that with a URL, replace it with a QR code, replace it with something else that goes directly to, um, to that uh, web experience. No, you're preaching to the choir. You're talking about some of my favorite topics, <laughs> which is like progressive web apps. QR codes are not dead people. Give them a chance. <laughs> I mean, we actually just relaunched our QR code reader in our newest beta because we got we we dropped it, um, but then we got so much customer feedback that uh, people really wanted it back. So now it's back, and we've 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 relaunched QR codes in Samsung Internet 9.4. And I, I think that's very cool because I personally am a big fan, but I mean, I'm a fan of them as a way to get to the URL because as a web technologist and as a web architect, the URL even is a kind of fundamental architectural plank of 
the web, even underneath HTML, JavaScript, HTTP, all that stuff. The URL is something that underpins everything. And as, and as long as we build stuff on top of URLs, then, um, then uh, we, can, uh, we can take advantage of that web architecture that, that's built on top of it. Thinking about the web for a second and where it's headed, what do you think the next three to five years look like for the web itself? Well, one of the things that we're very excited about is, um, is the immersive web. And, and you talked to Ada probably about some of that. Um, that's not only about bringing virtual reality and augmented reality applications to the web, but it's also about um, immersive 3D graphics, uh, you know, being able to, making it commonplace to start engaging with 3D environments in every web page or in, in web pages as as we as we surf around the web, I think some of the other things that we are that we're looking at are payment, making payment more intrinsic to the web. Uh, web payment is a spec that Samsung has been working on along with other players, including banks and and others. We've seen how powerful it can be when you can pay for something immediately from a web page using an on-device payment technology, such as Samsung Pay, Apple Pay, um, Google Pay. You know, there are a bunch of these different kinds of on-device payment technologies and integrating them into the web, bringing those to the web makes it very powerful. Um, I've seen these being used really effectively in, in political activism, actually, to, uh, to give to candidates. Because if you're reading an article and you want to give to it, or if you're reading a call to action, and you want to give to a candidate, you're not going to, and you're like walking around or you're on public transit or, or you're on a train or something like that. You're not going to want to reach around and look for your card and type in a card number and all that kind of stuff. So being able to use that kind of thing on the web, I think is, is going to be a real game changer, more sophisticated, maybe, in a, maybe less, less um, what's the word I'm looking for? Less excitingly, but exciting for me is, the idea of better user workflow for progressive web apps, better um, uh, lifecycle management for them. So we've launched something called Web APK with our latest with our latest version of the browser, which signs progressive web apps and actually installs them as APKs on the device on the Android device. Um, that makes them even more seem like first class citizen applications to the um, to the underlying. Uh, to the underlying device and uh, cements this uh, this or, or really even lowers the difference between further lowers the difference between web applications and native applications so i'm excited about that i i'm also i also am hoping that we as a web community are going to take some time to think about how the web needs to the web is and needs to maintain its position as a more ethical platform. Um, and actually, I just spent a lot of time in the last W3C tag face-to-face -face meeting that we had refining a document that I've been working on called the uh, Ethical Web Principles, which try and articulate this. And it's it's a bit of a manifesto. It's a, it's a little bit like, um, but it includes things that are all that we already know as being intrinsic to the web, like accessibility is non-optional. Security and privacy are intrinsic parts of the web. Um, when I use the web, I can expect more privacy than using a native application. That's another good reason to use the web. Or I can be more in control of my privacy because I can choose a browser 
um, that has uh, that enables me to install tracking blockers or ad blockers or that kind of thing. But also, when we are bringing new technologies to the web, should we be thinking about sustainability in terms of environmental sustainability, in terms of uh, power consumption? Um, should we be thinking in more clearly about how the web enables uh, marginalized communities versus uh, uh, mainstream uh, communities? And those are some things that I think that we need to do a bit more work on on the web. And we need to understand as we're bringing new features to the web and the web is evolving and constantly bringing new features, how do we put the emphasis on this ethical thrust, which I think the web already has, uh, the web already has the basis of that. So it's about building on that. So one of the things that you just talked about a little bit was making the web available for all people. What do you think are biggest challenges and in really internationalizing it? So the experience that I have as a user in the U.S. is, you know, still the same for someone in a third world country that doesn't have the high speed Internet. It's another thing that kind of fits underneath that umbrella of ethical principles, really. I mean, when we are designing new web technologies or when we are designing websites, we have to think about users that are on that your users are not always going to be people that are on um, the highest spec devices. It's not only people that are on, you know, iPhone X's and Galaxy S10 E's. Uh, it's going to be people that are on third generation phones that are that are being resold or lower spec devices that are being sold at lower cost in uh, and that, that may be on lower bandwidth uh, networks. Even here in the UK, if I go to uh, certain parts of the UK, like you know the Scottish border, um, I'm not going to get a 3G, or I'd be very ha happy if I even got an edge signal there, right? So um, it's a mistake to design these services for so that they can only be consumed uh, in metropolitan areas where you can get uh, ubiquitous 4G coverage, or now we're talking about 5G coverage. So graceful degradation of services graceful degradation and, and features that encode that approach um, as we add new features to the web itself, I think is really important. Uh, and then understanding how web applications function um, when it comes to accessibility features. So uh, incorporating things like ARIA uh, into rich web applications in order to allow them to function better with assistive, techno assistive technologies. Um, and also incorporating internationalization thinking. So does your web application work well when the, user's, uh, the user has a right to left uh, script? If they're used to reading Arabic or Hebrew, um, then they're, uh, right, they're reading right to left, right? So, um, you know, how, how, so all of these technologies are intrinsic to the web, but that doesn't mean that web developers don't need to do work and do testing outside of the kind of bubble that they're in, and everybody's in a bubble. Um, to be able to uh, to take it to make sure that they take advantage of them correctly and test with the users that that uh, that are in those communities. I have to send another thank you out to Alex Russell at Google for suggesting that I speak with Dan too. He was another phenomenal guest, and I loved the perspective he shared on ethical web principles. Now let's get to my favorite part of the show, where we take the education and apply it to your business. Let's dive into my top three takeaways from my conversation with Dan. 
First, while everyone may be familiar with the App Store and has downloaded their fair share of native mobile apps in the last decade, a lot of people don't realize how little control brands actually have in the app ecosystem. For starters, you have to submit your app to the App Store for review and approval each time you make a major change. And don't forget, you have to build a separate one for iOS and Android, and oftentimes this requires separate development teams. And then you have to rely on your users to find your actual app in the App Store And oftentimes it's going to show up next to your competitors. So even if you convince a user to go to the app store, look for your app, you also have to rely on them selecting your app over someone else's and then waiting for it to download. So let's just say it's not a frictionless process anymore, especially when you compare that to accessing a progressive web app, which you can do via quick text, scanning a QR code, tapping with NFC or clicking on a URL. Next, the web really needs to become more of an ethical platform. And Dan has some really great thoughts on this topic. In fact, the ethical principles web document he referenced during our conversation was recently published, and I highly recommend you check it out on the W3C website. Finally, the web needs to be accessible to all users, and I'm talking all users. This concept definitely fits under the umbrella of ethical web principles, but I wanted to point it out specifically because it's something that we all often overlook when we design for the latest iPhone or assume a 4G LTE connection on a phone. When in fact, most users around the world don't have access to the latest iPhone or that type of connection speed. That's why it's important for us to think about designing web experiences that work on older phones and lower bandwidth networks. We should strive to create a web experience that works for everyone. Now, here's my challenge for the week. Take a few minutes and read the ethical web principles document I mentioned earlier. I think it's important for all of us to start thinking in this mindset when we develop on the web. And make sure you check out next week's From the Cutting Room Floor episode. We'll be back again with Ada and Dan talking about how they think we can improve diversity in tech. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit Lumivate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.